Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Okay, everyone, how are you going? Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Investing Insights of the Right Property Group, joined by the Brains Trust of this particular outfit. That's not me. That's uh, Stephen Waters and Victor Kumar, directors of the Right Property Group. They're in the studio with us. We're still social distancing, and I am happy to report they were at least 1.5 metres apart, but we're getting together because this is the way the world's going back. It's back to sort of normal, Steve. It is. I think uh, slowly but surely we see light at the end of the tunnel, and- Eventually, we will get there. Uh, Steve, get there. I just want to give you a heads up. Now, you notice that Phil called you Stephen. That means the sledges are about to come. Well, I never get called Stephen when I'm in trouble. Well, no, it's, it's a sign of respect. You know, I like to. Uh... <laughs> oh, now, yeah. <laughs> well, now we know you're lying. <laughs> respect my elders and all that, Victor. You know, it's um, now that. <laughs> the operational ward being elders, of yeah, course. Yeah, the elders, yeah. absolutely. But, uh, you know, you can work out what that is. But uh, no, no, it's good. Thanks for coming in, guys. I do much enjoy doing this in person rather than over Zoom. Oh, for sure. I'm a little bit over Zoom. Mm. I think everyone all, is. All around. Zoomed yeah. out. Zoom to see. What, what is it? It's called something now. Zoomtopia. Zoomtopia. Good movie. <laughs> Have you ever watched Zootopia? You've got oh, your kids are probably too old for that. Are you talking about Zoolanders? No, Zootopia, not Zoolander. No, no, no never, it's, it's a kids, never heard kids of movie. It. Great movie. Anyway, we digress. Anyway, we do. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, auctions are back now. About a weekend or so ago now, two weekends ago, they allow auctions back in. The business of real estate's getting back into business. Depends on where you are in Australia, uh, what the specific rules are, but there is an opening up. There's a relaxation of social distancing, um, you know, work. People now come back to the office. We're allowed to get out there. We're allowed to go to restaurants as long as there's less than 10 people in there. You know, so everything's still shackled and there's definitely a big handbrake on, but it's good to see that there is stuff. Have you guys noticed any market shifts, market dynamics since – you know, is there more listings coming online now that you can actually go and look at a joint? Very slowly, the listings are starting to improve. Mm-hmm. And that's been mm-hmm. our biggest Achilles heel yep. is the amount of stock on market. And we've been quite vocal about that, being that it just wasn't there. And we've talked about that before as well. But with the front door opening to public inspections and auctions, then we're starting to see just a few little listings tick up. Mm-hmm. And we would expect that that would gain momentum. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that all this stock will come onto the market that is under duress. Mm. Yeah, that that's just not happening. It'll just be that the vendors are now saying, well, okay, now I've got a bigger chance, I've got a bigger market share perhaps, or potential buyer because people can get around. And we saw it on the weekend. There were some open homes that had 18 people through it, like be it all staged, if mm. you will, every couple of minutes. Yeah. yeah, that's a massive result from a zero start. I think one of the things that we need to realise is that because of the change in the way the real estate agents are interacting with the buyers. In other words, no longer is it that whole horde of people come through an open home and then they're followed up at the end of the day via phone call or by text or by emails. Now the agents have more of a one-on-one with the buyers. And so that too translates into the pricing not necessarily dropping quite significantly because they can identify the one, they can identify the objections and so forth with the buyers. And if it's not this property, they can certainly point them to another property. So we're seeing a lot of these transactions actually happening quite rapidly. I think this is where the really good agents Mm. start to shine, but I also think the agents that are new to the industry are learning in a very tough market. And they're learning to nurture and create relationships and not exploit them, that's the wrong terminology, mm-hmm. but certainly perpetuate them and that's how they're getting the deals across the line. In fact, we've, some of the agents that we deal with, they've had some of their, their best, best months, months mm. you know, during COVID because well, they nurture the relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And well, there's a lot of discussion now about how 
real estate agents will be impacted. We did a huge survey, uh, Momentum Intelligence, um, around uh, impact of coronavirus and real estate. The real estate sector is up there with aviation, as in they think their revenue is going to be hugely impacted, mm. um, sort of a little bit further down the path, but that nature of real estate. But did you guys subscribe to this theory that the spring selling season is going to come forward a little bit as a result of this? As in, you know, people normally kick around and wait till September, you know, to start getting properties up for sale. And it's traditionally mm. a time of real estate transactions when people come out of the hibernation of winter. But because of this sort of hibernation of real estate during this period that we're in right now and less property on the market, that once there is some sense of understanding of how these things are going to play out, you're going to see more transactions happening or at least properties coming onto the market? Potentially it will. I think it'll be more around when the mortgage freeze in combination with mm-hmm. JobSeeker and JobKeeper ends. Mm. Yeah. That might be the time, depending on which direction those decisions go as to whether we'll see uh, quite a lot of property come onto the market mm-hmm. or you know, continue as it is. And I think the spring selling season traditionally has always been a bit overstated, Yeah, to be honest with you. It's, um, it's more media perception yeah, than media anything else. Right? So Dodgy media things. people. I know. <laughs> <That's the problem. laughs> just a dime a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> Clickbait headlines. But, you know, and we're always – a lot of the discussions we have on Investing Insights of Right Property Group is for – people who are currently investing. so And that's been dominating a lot of the discussions we've been having in that you've been investing up to this point in time. You might have had two properties, 10 properties, 50 properties, but you're still a property investor. So this is a a wholesale shift, wholesale change in the dynamics of real estate and how this will evolve over time. But a lot of people are considering coming into the market right now. So you know they might have been slated to start investing towards the back end of this year and it's a very different time now as sort of post-COVID. Oh, huge, huge. It's a sea change, isn't it? Is that it's what you call it? It's a sea change, we're calling it. Not S-E-A or S-E-E. Right, just C for COVID. C for COVID. Change. Mm. C, it's the new sea change. But all jokes aside, I think it is a fundamental shift. Mm. Uh, the way that people approach home ownership, whether that be as an investor or a occupier, will change. Not just the way that they view it, but also the way that they, they research it the way they purchase it and then the way that they control it from here on because we can't forget that we're in we're in quite a different economy and just strip away the fact that we're in COVID, but we're in a different economy than what we were in five years ago and the cost of money straight up is the most obvious one. There's a lot of talk. Now, if I do bring COVID back into it, there's some talk and rumour that, yeah, stamp duty may change the way mm-hmm. we know it. There's talk that what I saw a the Property Council of Australia is suggesting to government, to the federal government, that they give a $50,000 grant for new builds Mm -hmm. to investors and the like. So I think there's a lot of people that are just hanging back to see what unfolds, but I still don't think that'll change the way. Sorry, I do think it'll change the way that they approach property moving forward. It's just been a monumental shift in every facet. I think the the focus has come squarely back onto cash flow. And the ability to hold on to the property because it's put into perspective that our employment for the best of all worlds is very transient and we cannot just rely on being able to hold on to our portfolio with just the employment and masking the negative cash flow, right? So that's where it drills back down to the actual portfolio to see what the underlying negative cash flow is before tax, before you chip in your income into it to hold on to the property. Well, let's explore that. So those investors that perhaps have bought for a gearing effect, Mm. 
and potentially lost hours or lost their job, they've got no gearing. Yep. Or potentially going forward, they've got no gearing. Because so, the fundamental is that you've got to pay tax to be able to claim it back, isn't well, it? Well, if you, if you have a job, you pay tax, which means you can borrow money to get into the property the mm. first time. And it's as simple as that. But I think what COVID has done has exposed the vulnerabilities of some investors and the way that they've approached it and the way that they should potentially pivot now to change direction, not like a 180-degree direction, but certainly to arrest some of the fundamental issues in their portfolio going mm-hmm. forward. I've got a, a new theory that I'm just developing while you guys are chatting, and everyone's talking about COVID right now and the impact on SMEs, right? And there's this this concept, this notion of called zombie firms, and these are businesses who were already sort of struggling pre-COVID, and now they're just, they've got this injection of this job keeper, which is income coming in to pay their staff. So just put them in suspense and hibernation. But once JobKeeper gets pulled, these firms will just, well, this, a lot of these SMEs won't just be able to operate because they've been propped up through these government stimulus. So is there such a thing as a- Zombie investor? A zombie investor or a zombie- We were, yeah. so we were zombie, talking zombie, about this. Zombie portfolios. We were know? talking about this just yeah. the other day, and we mentioned that exact same thing, the zombie investor or the zombie portfolio that they're being propped up by the gearing of effect. Mm. Now, whether they get that adjusted on a monthly basis via their accountants and their pay packet, they're dying a slow death. Mm. Because when you're a zombie investor, we'll just keep going with that. When you're a zombie investor or you have a zombie portfolio, you are essentially living day to day on the hope and prayer that the portfolio grows. Yep. So you have a limited time. That's right. Because your cash flow only has a limited mm. sort of amount of time as well. But as but if we've created a portfolio that is where the cash flow is manageable, well, then you do have time on, on your side and you're not reliant upon, to a degree, keeping a job. I mean, we're all reliant upon keeping our job, but there's a difference between you know, being negative $400 a week on a property. And but again, but this is part of the beauty of being a property investor. Obviously, cash flow is really important to it, but a zombie business you know, if it's propped up by the government, that's okay for a period of time. It doesn't have to go out there and manufacture its own income in order for it to survive as a business. But property, it should do it itself. Time is a good thing for property, whereas time is typically a bad thing for a zombie firm because it's not generating income. You work out, it goes downhill pretty quickly and then the thing just becomes insolvent or bankrupt or whatever it is. But if you get your buying right, even a a zombie portfolio, Time actually manufactures capital growth, which supports the equilibrium of your portfolio. Of the, of the zombie, yep. of the zombie yeah, connection. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I don't know if this we're going down a rabbit hole with the zombie <laughs> thing, but it's not a bad it's I, not a bad concept. It's I actually agree with what you're saying, but only to a degree, because if you want to take the SME or a business and you're running insolvent, I would suggest to you that there are plenty of portfolios that are insolvent mm. as yeah. well. And as a result of that, you need a lot of things to go right for you in a very short period of time. Otherwise, you're just prolonging the inevitable. Yeah. This is cash flow, right? Because insolvency, the definition of insolvency in a business is your ability to pay your bills when, they're, when they fall due, right? And that's a pretty broad, you know. So if you're paying your bills on credit, it means you can still pay for your bills so you're still solvent, right? When credit runs out is an issue. You know, so within a portfolio, as long as you can pay your bills when they're due, the portfolio is solvent. It's when you run out of money, you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. And your portfolio yeah. becomes insolvent. And especially if you're relying upon the gearing and you don't have That's a job, right. where's the gearing? Yeah. yeah. It's I've, a vicious a, circle. Yeah, I've got to call it now in the sense that there will be changes to the economy, right? Mm. And I think that changes to the negative gearing is squarely back on the table because when you look at it from a federal government point of view, 
there needs to be some rationalization in terms of costs, in terms of how they generate revenue. So things like negative gearing, things like stamp duty, all of these are squarely back on the table. Now, mind you, if we're talking about stamp duty in terms of how this has, this has become a current conversation, especially in New South Wales, mm. we need to drill back and realize that that paper was actually tabled back in October. The virus was nowhere in the horizon at that time, right? So this conversation was already happening. It's just that it's now become more pertinent and more noisy and more noticeable. So there will be changes in the way we invest, the way we hold properties. And if you are totally reliant on negative gearing, to help hold onto your portfolio and you're totally reliant on your job to hold onto your portfolio, I think you need to start looking hard and fast in terms of what your holdings are and what changes you can make to it to be able to weather the storm if it does come. Mm. Absolutely. So what is a storm if it does come? Well, there are the few storms that are coming, right? So one, obviously, is the zombie firms, right? Mm. The zombie SMEs that will shut down progressively over the next, say, two, three years because they'll die a slow death. And the way we do businesses will change and that will also impact them as well. So there will be a few jobs on the line. There may be you know, government incentives in terms of creating jobs and all that to restart the economy or to show up the economy. So that's on the plus side. But more and more, I think the way we hold property and the way the banks will view loans in the initial stages, I think the lending will be eased out right out. Right? Already there's talks about you know, reducing the cash rate a lot lower, you know, going into zero negative territory. New Zealand's already having that conversation. It won't be long before Australia has that conversation. Mind you, they're just conversation at this stage, right? Mm. And we need to differentiate that that's the way of getting the banks to become a lot more enthusiastic in lending out money as opposed to holding money within the portfolio. It does not relate back to retail interest rates. Yeah, and there are so many pieces to the puzzle mm. here millions of pieces to the puzzle of which some we don't even know what look like yet. Yep. and to be fair I don't think anybody does you mentioned lending becoming easier mm. I think we're a 50-50 chance on that there's the potential for it to become easier but I also think that the way that they weight the risk on individuals and their absolutely and their employment or what industry they're in will differ mm. from yeah, the government worker or the I mean, hospitality and airline industry Correct. as an example because you'd have to assume that the hospitality industry will not recover. Not instantaneously. In yeah, instantaneously, yeah. So if we talk a couple of years, the way that the bank or a lender looks at them mm. may be a little bit differently or a little bit different. But I think coming back to the basics of cash flow management will eventually, if not immediately, create a resilient position. Yeah. And that's important because you've been exposed now if you haven't managed your cash flow. You might have had some pretty good growth, but if you've lost your tenant, you've lost your job, or your, the cash flow from the property has reduced significantly because of today's scenario. Mm -hmm. And you can't qualify for a refi. Yeah, the tie's out and yep. you got your pants down. That's right. That's right. In, in fact, if you look at, there was a recent article on ABC and they were talking about this Must investor. have been rubbish straight up. <laughs> talking, Steve, it's a great institution, ABC. Don't say that about auntie. Mm -hmm. um, they were talking about this investor who I think he, he turned 60 or 65 and he had started investing some five years ago. And 
the first thing is obviously he started his journey a little bit too late for the types of properties that he was holding mm. and he was reliant on everything being interest only and now that was turning over into principal and interest and all of a sudden he was $1,700 more in payments per month which was pushing his retirement back. Mm. But it brings back to what we have been saying all along. You need to have a finite plan to retire the mortgages and retire them well ahead of retirement. Yeah, and that particular gentleman, because I read the same report, mm -hmm. the area that he bought really didn't have no. a future. Yep. Was he buying for capital growth was the idea? or uh, Reading between the lines, but also knowing where he purchased, I would say that he got caught up in a pretty good marketing companies, mm. spiel. And, yep. Where yeah. was he buying? In some of the areas of Western Australia. Okay. Yeah that have dropped by 50% mm. from the time he purchased yeah. it. Now, unfortunately, that won't be a singular story. There'll be yeah. plenty of people that are out there. And you could roll it. You could actually bring into the people that are due for retirement now that had their money in shares mm. or oh, super. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine, you know, yeah. like I feel for those people who are planning for retirement Absolutely. in 2020, right? Like, you know, if you had your money in shares, you've copped it, you know. That's right. We said this exact same thing during the GFC. Exactly we said, right. We did too. Yep. Like almost word for word being that if you are all in in one asset class and say it was all in super or it was all in shares and this is not the share bashing session and you were due for retirement this year and it, all the perfect storm and all the clouds came together, mm -hmm. you are stuck. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I know a lot of people, my sort of generation, their parents were retiring at that point in time and a lot of them still work. Mm. Well, really they have to. They I have know to. For, during the GFC there was a guy that I had met up with and he was 74 and he had to go back to work mm. because there was no money left, right? So, but, Which then will come back to your point, Vic, is why we've always talked about retiring mm. debt. So therefore you have full control. That's right, yeah. So most people when they're investing, they're investing without looking at the end piece, right? Mm. And they assume that when they hit age 65, 67, something magical will happen and they will have a retirement income coming in. But they're not working towards it, right? So you need to be, obviously, the best thing about investing is you've got to start as early as possible because it gives you time. Mm. But there needs to be a finite point where you're then turning the portfolio around and starting to pay it down. So you're never forever in an accumulation phase. And it could be looking something like you're accumulating, then consolidating, paying a little bit of debt down, restructuring mortgages and so forth, right? Now, if you have left it till you are, say, 55, the types of properties, the types of strategies and the risk weighting that we would need to put on it is totally different to someone that's, say, 35 because you don't really have that much of a time to correct if something like the GVC happens or even a GFC happens. Plus also, you've just basically left yourself no room to maneuver and chop and change. And what most people end up doing is they start taking risky strategies and they also start truly believing in the magical golden bullet where someone's run a seminar and they're saying, you know, we'll get you retired and we'll get you cup passive of income. A day. Yeah, hold a property for a cup of coffee. And because you are so focused on how to get to the income, you forget to actually address that little equation of how to get to the income. Or how to hold it yep. to begin with. And unfortunately, I think as time rolls on that people will play the race eight card you know when you've done all your money on races one to seven at the races and you just go all, all in on the in last on one, one. Yep. and on a longy yeah on a, on a long odds a roughy yeah on yeah. a roughy and but that's a psychological mm -hmm. sort of constraint or issue that you're going to have at the time 
And I would urge people that are beginning, no matter what the age, is to have the goal mm. in mind, have a time frame that can be brought forward or taken out further to a further point of view. But make sure you have a plan and make sure that whatever you do, it's a portfolio of resilience, which is therefore based around cash flow and cash flow management. I'm not talking about positive cash flow properties here in One Trick Pony Town. I'm talking about the fundamentals still need to be right. But for those investors that haven't or have already started investing, they've got somewhat of a portfolio, one, two, 200, whatever it may be, that are in a position where they now have been exposed, mm-hmm. you can still do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. that might mean that you need to cut hard, cut early mm-hmm. and sell some, or it might mean that your portfolio needs to pivot. Yeah. But, pe- but what I will guarantee you is things get better when they do, because everything always does get better and then it gets worse and it gets better. That's just life. That once again, the fundamentals will go out the window and it'll all be about growth, 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 growth. Don't worry about the cash flow because- the growth will get us rich. So we'll go back to a growth phase when everyone's like, you know, hey, there'll be a FOMO stage. Yeah. There always is. There's a FOMO stage every 10 to 15 years. Mm. There's a FONGO stage every 10 to 15 years. <laughs> What's yeah. FONGO? Fear of not getting out. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, is, isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that with everyone with social isolation? Is that fear of not getting out? Everyone's got FONGO. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth too. So things are just quite cyclical. Mm. It's just the timing is never exact. So, so what is the C change? C for ABC? C change, C for COVID change. It is the way that people will address their situation in the short to medium term and the way that they not just look at their lifestyle, but also where they want to be, how they want to live life, Mm -hmm. and from an investment perspective, how they invest. Mm. It's going to be a a dynamic shift because the marketplace in terms of property has changed dramatically. The way that you get your money will change dramatically dramatically. And that could be something as simple as rates will go up. Mm. If you think rates will stay low for the next 20 years, you're burying your head in the sand. They will go up. That's right. And so once again, the way that people approach investing in any asset class will be fundamentally different from what it was 16 weeks ago. I think the biggest realization that people will have, those that are informed and those that are educated, is the realization that Property investing is not passive. All this uh, literature banding that property investing is a passive approach, it's not because we need to be dynamic to manage it, right? So one of the things we look at as an example, Steve, is that when we are looking at numbers, we are still doing the numbers at 4.5% interest rate because we know that whilst you're still able to get your 2.5s right now, it won't be long before it resets. As soon as the economy rebounds and inflation starts edging up, there will be talk of interest rate increases. Yep. And that's a product, though, of a mm. healthy economy, Absolutely right? Absolutely. Well, we want inflation. Yeah. Like, that's not- Well, you do, you know. Well, wouldn't, why wouldn't you? I don't really buy much. So it doesn't really impact me. Your Chiquito roll will go that's up a, by 30 cents. Chico roll, mate. Chico roll. Chico so roll. Chico roll, get it right. <laughs> Chiquito is something very different. It's probably uh, one float in your backyard pool. But uh, <laughs> Great movie. Great movie. You know the movie I'm talking about? Yeah. I do, actually. It's just in my, I just saw it in my mind. What, what is that movie? It's not Revenge of the Nerds. It's like National Lampoons or- Yeah, yeah, I think it was. One of the classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Look, there's Big Ben. <laughs> I don't think Vic knows what we're talking about. No, no, I do. I do. <laughs> I am a bit of a movie buff. Hey, yeah, I was just to sort of deviate a little bit, but I was listening to some stuff on the way in. And, and for those of you who don't know, Victor is originally from Fiji. I didn't realise that 40% of the GDP.
GDP is tourism. It is. Based in like, mm-hmm. you know, it's we think we're doing it hard here and, and talking about, you know, high single digit decreases to the GDP. So a lot of our nation is doing a lot tougher than us, right? There's yeah, a yeah. whole lot of people that just simply don't have jobs at the moment. Mm. Yeah, Bali would be the same as, yeah, absolutely. as well. But speaking of GDP and some of the comments I made earlier on about the I think it was the property council wanting government to give fifty thousand know, dollar grants to new constructions, mm. we can't lose sight of the fact that the property industry from a holistic point of view, is 30% of GDP. Mm. It's probably 30% of GDP. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so- I didn't realise it was that big. So it's construction- Everything. Every every derivative, everything associated with property. So it's a big part of our economy and there is every reason the government, both states and federally, want to see property Mm -hmm. get back on its feet. Mm. And now coming back to that $50,000 grant for new properties, I don't think that's the way out. Well, isn't it just getting rid of stamp duty, right? That will help no, a lot of these it. real estate transactions. No. But you're talking about development. But they're saying now that, you know, the pipeline for development, 60% of all new housing is sort of the the infill of it is essentially people migrating to Australia. It's a big driver of it, right? It's part of it, but also even on that vein that builders have they've seen a reduction of 30% in contracts, people mm. walking away from building contracts, like quite immediately. So mm. that's a big Part of the economy. Well, the whole house and land area is all that's what yeah, I'm really, really talking stressed about. at the moment. Yeah. yeah, and so if and you mentioned stamp duty. Yeah, there is some room, some talk that they will change the way that we know stamp duty today, especially in New South Wales to begin with, and some of the other states that potentially follow. And I know there's there are people out there that saying, well, if that's the case, I'm going to hang back on the potential eradication of stamp duty and then I'll buy and I'll save myself, mm. you know, 15, 20, 30, 40, $50,000, whatever it may be. But here's what will happen. What they give you, they take back in a different way. Mm. And it would probably be via land tax. And, you know, just a wild guess, they might say instead of giving you a threshold, every investor pays land tax or every homeowner. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm already paying, so it doesn't really matter. You yeah, know, it doesn't affect you, no Mr. Breaks. Selfish. You know. yeah. But it, um, <laughs> hey, so- someone's got to contribute to this great state of New South Wales. That's Phil Tarrant land tax. um, but so what they'll do is they'll potentially make everybody pay land tax from day one every year no thresholds and as an investor or as a homeowner i don't want that i don't Mm. want to be paying every year for the rest of my ownership life land tax i want to be able to yeah, keep to my thresholds in different states and, and it'd have to be all mitigated. Big, it'd be grandfather though. Like, it would be grandfather, but stuff, I don't plan know. on stop buying. Yeah. But then also, and here's what will happen is if they do that, there'll be a rush to the market. So those people that are hanging off to not pay stamp duty, they're probably going to they're going to pay the extra percent, same percentage or dollar yeah. value by paying a yeah, higher you're price. You're better off copping it on the chin at the front end, and then at least yeah. knowing that's been spent. And well, that's it's spent, it, yeah. And it's not in the loan amount for the next thirty years, which will cost you. So, so I guess, you know, part of the theme of this podcast, gents, is, you know, we've spoken about you are a current investor and what all this means, but if you're just starting your investment journey right now, so, you know, a lot of businesses are thinking this way. They're saying, well, if I got to completely rethink how I would do something again, how would I do it differently? And COVID-19 has provided most people that opportunity to go, well, I have to do things so differently now because of this new environment. So if you were starting your investment journey again, Victor, in this, this environment, this climate, what would you be doing differently now than you would have done prior because you had to or because now you have a choice to do it differently? Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't change what I've been doing, but I would reiterate that what you need to do is look at the exit strategy first before you get in into property. So where, how does it look like in five years, 10 years time, right? So how am I going to enhance the value? And in the immediate, how am I going to protect 
my investment. So where that is by being able to hold on to this property, even if the rates double. So we're doing all the figures at two and a half, let's say they're 5%, and that would be a really safe approach, right? And then the other thing I need to look at is it needs to be a balanced approach in terms of both growth and cash flow, right? So that doesn't mean that it has to be positive cash flow or anything like that, but it needs to be measurable in terms of your own household surplus income. So after you've done your living, how much money is left over for investing in that sense? Because a lot of people embellish on those figures and say, I can afford $500 a week. But the reality is that they could only, they probably only have $100 available. Yeah, if people are true to themselves, they'll know exactly what it costs yep. to live. And just expanding on that a little bit, there's a difference between what the household budget saves versus what the household is willing to contribute mm-hmm. to support a portfolio from the savings. Two totally different very numbers. And if you don't know what that is, then you potentially shouldn't be getting started. That's right. I just want to go back a couple of comments as well. When I said that all oh, the property industry was 30%, I meant 13, one, three. Okay. Yeah. Dyslexia. Don't knock me for it. Don't judge me. Oh. <laughs> one thing I do is not judge. Come on, you're a journalist. That's all you do. No, no, we were just so, here to report the facts. As he says with a smirk. <laughs> yeah, we should film We should film one of these as opposed to our other ones just so we can see the dynamics here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But once again, what the household budget is willing to contribute from their savings to support the portfolio mm-hmm. pre-tax. That's right. And looking at it from a worst case scenario to say that, okay, can I support this on one income to begin with? Because that's the absolute worst case, isn't it? And that should be in the planning. Mm. Or no income. You should be planning on no income, really, like worst case stuff. That's where your buffers come into. And Mm. it was probably only five podcasts ago where we were talking about the importance of buffers so that you're not backed into a corner at the worst possible time to make irrational decisions based Mm -hmm. on what you don't have. I can't remember who I was chatting to, but they said a good metric is 5000 bucks per property per year as a buffer. I would probably get maintenance and stuff. Yeah, I get asked that question almost weekly on mm. what is a good buffer amount and everybody's different. As I'm looking at Victor, Victor's is probably half of what mine is. He's a little bit more risk tolerant. Is that the word? That's a word now. It is now. Yeah. For me, I just like 12 months of my pre-tax shortfall put away. So that's the negative cash yeah. delivery for your- Correct. But I weight it. So I have 80% occupancy, Okay. 10% R&M. Mm. And whatever that, and I reduce the rents as well, so that it comes up with a figure of X, and I have a year of that side. One year in offset somewhere. Offset for sure. Okay. Yep. Whereas I, I spread a little bit differently, I go three months of full mortgage repayments put aside of the entire portfolio. Probably, probably works out the same. Yeah, it works out the same. Yeah. yeah. Three months of full mortgage repayments. Yeah. Okay. It's as if my entire portfolio has got no rent coming in, and I mm. have to contribute towards a full mortgage for three months. Yeah. Because I reckon by reading the signs early you can mitigate against all this risk. And this is where our reviews come I was in. Just, yeah. I was looking at you there with my hand up like a school kid in the classroom. Me, then. me, me, me. Yeah, yeah, because that's exactly- <laughs> I've got something smart to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought you were going to be talk about reading the tea leaves or- you know. yeah. <laughs> On a bowl of kava. Yeah. <laughs> that's where the great decisions happen. Just, sorry, Steve, is there any like- any mysticism around, you know, like, oh, some old grandma will read the tea leaves and tell you what the what the future holds for you in sort of, you know, Anglo-Saxon sort of thing. Is, is there any sort of mystery around <laughs> no, reading, no, no, reading, no. reading the- uh- There's no tea leaves. What they do is they read smart property investment. Oh, they really? <laughs> 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 that's, 
that'll tell you where the next hotspot <laughs> is. It'll tell you how to make your fortune. But, is it? It looks it, like after that comment, Steve, we're getting coffee for free for the rest of the year. Maybe. That'd be a start. Is it? Like, I, I really into like, I like the sort of cultural nuances and stuff. So is, is any, that what you're talking about? The property CI, is that? The, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know. No, no idea. Yeah. Anyway. That's called speculation. Speculation. Yes. This is exactly the answer I wanted. Good remark, Vic. Yes, yeah, yes. Now, Speculation. Kind of, so, <laughs> Me holding my hand up for the smart comments kind of irrelevant yeah. now. <laughs> speculation. Yes. Why, so what was your smart comment? I don't know now. You're, like, I've got a short attention span at the best of times, and <laughs> now you've just ruined it. <laughs> so what we were talking about is is the ability and the need to constantly review your position. That's what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. Hand up. Hand up. The reviews. Yes. Essentially, and not being passive, and it's the day-to-day management of the portfolio or the property, however many there is, which will have a direct reflection on what your day-to-day position is. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that being passive and looking at it once a year yep. or even once every 10 years to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy these three properties because I know over the next 20 years they're going to do okay. There's an element of truth behind that, but can you control the portfolio for that long to get that result without management? That's and, right. And that's the question. So regardless of the size of your portfolio, whether you own one property or 100 properties, you need to have dedicated time set aside to actually look at the operational side of your portfolio. So I'm not talking about checking in as to how they perform in terms of value or anything like that, but operational in the sense of are the rents consistent? Are there telltale signs that the tenant is falling behind or is becoming habitual in falling behind? Is there a telltale sign that there may be some upheaval with the property management arm? Because most businesses, and especially now going forward, most businesses will have a change and upheaval in their processes. So we need to look at it from a viewpoint of, okay, consistency in cash flow, consistency in terms and being really forthright in terms of safety repairs, and also being very strategic in terms of what modifications you do to your property, those things need to be addressed on a regular basis so that the operational nature of it becomes front of mind because it's that that will trip you up. The growth will happen in the background. As long as you can support everything else. That's but right. I would also pose the question that a lot of people don't even know what they're looking for Yes. in terms of the management of their portfolio mm-hmm. because you don't know what you don't know until it actually happens. And once again, this market that we have today in terms of the economy is going to expose exactly what you don't know That's or right. what you haven't been doing. Mm-hmm. And there's, whilst I'd love to say there's nothing wrong with that because you'll learn and you'll learn very, very quickly what not to do or potentially what you should have done. It's not the end of the world. You can adjust. In fact, probably this this week alone, I would have had somewhere near 20 portfolio reviews with clients and I'm sure you're in the same position because it's ongoing. Yeah. Management. And this is what you know a lot of people don't realize is that part of the value add that we bring to the table is using our you know decades of experience going through portfolios and flagging things before they become a major issue. Of course, it's all totally reliant on the data that's put in front of us in terms of the portfolio itself, but also knowing what's happening in the area, knowing what can happen in terms of the way the property market is going to turn and so forth and mitigating against that. The important thing is that if you listen back to all of our podcasts, if you watch all of our Facebook lives that's back on our Facebook page, you will notice that we've been banging on about one thing consistently for the last two months, which is have a look at your mortgages. Have a strong, hard look at your mortgages, your rates, how they are structured, so that you are then going into the next phase of the market 
with your biggest cost minimized. Then the next thing that you need to look at obviously is the consistency of rent and the amount of repair requests that you're getting as well. Combined with where you purchase. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Should be, might write a book. <laughs> a- <laughs> to your point, property's not a passive investment. No, it's not. There's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. Think of your portfolio. I mean, oh, God. There is so many moving parts. There's a lot of moving parts, always. And if you take your eye off it for just a millisecond. Even a day, like I'm sitting there going, oh, did that, someone was moving out of something, have I got a new tenant in yet? It's just, you know, yeah. It's, it's all good fun. It's great. Well, you know, thanks, Shenzo. It was quite a long podcast. Yeah, always enjoy it. So I'm going to get close with this, Victor. You're new to property investing. What's the three things you need to do? Look, the first thing, obviously, is to take stock as to where you are at in terms of your capital position, in terms of your borrowing capacity, and in terms of what you really want to achieve. Then talk to a professional, right? Educate yourself with the podcast. And if you're listening to this, go backwards historically and listen to all the podcasts. Go to the Facebook pages in terms of the live broadcast that we've done because there's a whole lot of information there that could give you the fundamentals. But certainly reach out and have a chat with us. Reach out to questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au or just simply ping us on Facebook and we'll be more than happy to chat without any obligation. We'll steer in the right direction. Cool. That's so, it. And just sorry, but just before we close mm. off, for all of our clients that are listening to this, don't forget to join the private Facebook group for all of our clients. And for everybody else, every fortnight or thereabouts, we do a live Facebook event. So make sure you look out for our socials and so follow our page and you'll yeah. get notification when you're live. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. I do enjoy each month catching up with you both and it helps me reconnect and re-engage with property each time. But I am pretty connected with our portfolio at the moment. So I do. You are, actually. I, you're I, doing do, well. I do. I do uh, ebb and flow. But um, yeah, keep up the good work. And it's a good time to be in property, Steve. It's always a good time. <laughs> as long as you do it right. As long as you do it right. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Now, remember questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au or rightpropertygroup.com.au is where you need to go. Victor's on his head. That's cool. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Remember, go back and look at all those uh, other podcasts we put together. We've been going at this now for I think it's our third season. So, um, as you can tell, there's always stuff to talk about, and uh, we're fortunate that we can be pretty reactive to what's going on in the market and shape our, our conversation and narrative around the immediacy of what's going on. But properties built in fundamentals. There's certain things that don't change, cash flow and capital growth, uh, all these different terms that we've spoken about. If they're unfamiliar to you, make sure you get educated on that. You can see it all on uh, rightpropertygroup.com.au. There's lots of good information and material there. We'll be back again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs, and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.